This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Sky and Hayden King. back yeah we're back we're back on the red road mm-hmm. good morning courtney good morning thanks Hayden. for the lift yeah it's here been we a are while again yes yeah, it's been a while that we've been in the car it's funny because we like talk every day <laughs> yes <laughs> but we haven't uh driven in in a while no 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 so apologies to our uh podcast listeners who are thirsty for more Red Road episodes, we would love to um, spin them up and get them out there. But the reality is we're just not commuting that often together. Um, so that makes recording our podcast a little bit, a little, a little bit difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. It's had so much stuff going on behind the scenes. As some of you know, who like follow on social media, you know that I was elected or um, a oh, candidate. Oh, you're elected. Elected council chief ahead of candidate. There. Elected council chief candidate. You're I'm right trying to council. not say... You're trying to be the chief of six nations. I know. Elected oh, chief my gosh. Elected chief of six nations. I'm trying not to say chief of What are you going to say? You I'm going like to say elected... Ogima? No, I'm going to say elected <laughs> council chief. Oh, okay. Or elected council leader or something. I do not want to refer to myself as a chief. What is it? That what sounds is like it the like, worst. What's the Mohawk word? Like Rory? What's it called? Roriander? Oh, name? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. You're gonna call yourself that? No, because the female version of that is clan mother, okay. and I'm not a clan mother, and that's not like there's no female word for chief. So. Oh um, really? Eh? Yeah. Like the huh. those two words can be used interchangeably, but there's a different connotation to the authority based on like that person's role, and if it's a woman, it, they're assumed to be like you would use that term for them for as a clan mother. Uh. So the the word that we've been using, and I. My Mohawk pronunciation is terrible. I'm not going to attempt it. But um, it means just like um, a person who has responsibility or she has responsibility, which is like different, right? Because it's not a hereditary title. Huh. So, so there's yes. no. So are you telling me there's no word in Mohawk or Cayuga or anything that for an elected chief? I haven't seen one, and I huh. haven't bothered to look for one. Would it be like George Washington? Would it be like Town Destroyer? Yeah, that's exactly what it would be. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a word for president. It was Town Destroyer. Yeah, you um, have a word for president, so you came up with a word for George Washington, and it translates to Town Destroyer. Yes. That's brilliant. Not historically inaccurate at all. Absolutely. It's like one yeah. of the... It's it's like all those terms... You know, I think on social media, people sort of slowly collect terms for white people, mm-hmm. and they're... You know, I don't want to uh, misinterpret any of them or misremember any of them, but, you know, they're pretty dark. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, yeah. like hungry people or, um, you know, those that bring a weapon or uh, mm-hmm. like in Nishnabimoan, we have different words for different, like, Wemetagosh and uh, Jaganosh. And most of them have, like, these references that are that are negative. But. Yeah. So, okay, so you're running for, uh, we should talk about language today, maybe. Yeah. Talk about language on the podcast. Yeah. So there's, okay. there's there's two barriers to our thing. Well, first of all, I was sick. So even if we were to report, we did not you report a second elected council. Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Know that, that was like there was like a whole week where I like I think we were talking about tweeting maybe, but I would just like never got back to you because I lost my voice and I couldn't talk for like a week, and huh. just getting it back now. And then last week, 
I don't remember what happened. I was elected, so I was, or like, <laughs> I'm in this election. So it's power positive Woo. thinking, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, better, we better put this podcast out after November 9th. No. So this, <laughs> this is going out ASAP because our listeners demand it. Yes. But I've also been doing um, uh, language classes in the evening. So that's part of the reason why we weren't commuting also in, like, there were times when I came in and you came in, but because we weren't going back and forth, we were kind of like, no, but today we've made a compromise where like we're driving in together, but I have to come back early and you're going to take a different way home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the problem is you got to go, you have to leave Toronto early yeah. to get back to language classes and I am a workaholic, so I come in late. I yeah. believe I return late. Yes. So, yeah. um, and you have an event tonight. Yeah, and I got the red paper. Tonight. The red paper lunch. Yeah. yeah. So if any of you uh, follow Yellowhead's work, Yellowhead Institute, this week we released the red paper called Land Back, and um, yeah, it's a really I think important uh, discussion of the the recognition paradigm and how mm-hmm. we've dispossessed been dispossessed from the land in very technical ways, but also how we're getting it back, and mm-hmm. so. The event is uh, is is all about that. So I'm staying late for that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for all for all these reasons, for a variety of reasons, we're not commuting anymore uh, regularly. Well, yeah, but hopefully that changes soon. Yeah. And then uh, when we last spoke on this podcast, we were talking about the federal election, mm-hmm. and it was going to be part one, and then we were going to have a part two, but we didn't get around <laughs> to the part two. So uh, because of that, and Coincidentally, I guess, uh, I ended up going on a media indigena podcast about the post-election landscape for indigenous issues. That's actually a two-part episode. So if you want to hear at least my perspective on the post-election, which was originally supposed to be a Red Road podcast, you can go check out Media Indigena and uh, Vanessa Watts, uh, the wonderful and uh, sharp and uh, brilliant Vanessa Watts is also on that podcast. So... Yeah, and I guess maybe we just want to shout out Media Indigena for one of the uh, one of these uh, independent Indigenous podcasts that we uh, you know where we benefit from the path that they've broken, and and then there's a bunch of other podcasts too. I think we should probably mention who've yeah. been supporting us uh, mm-hmm. over the last year. Yeah. So first of all, um, it's a safe space and Vocal Fry Studios with Vicky Mochama and uh, Katie Jensen. We've both been guests on Vicky's podcast. Um, and that's like a weekly roundup of news and political commentary that happens. And um, also uh, Lauren Mitchell at Cavern of Secrets, which is a Vocal Fry uh, podcast as well. Lauren is a very good friend of mine and she just relaunched her podcast, Cavern of Secrets, which is conversations um, with women um, that are different than conversations that women normally have wherein they're not constantly asked about like what is it like to be a woman doing a thing and they're actually treated as human beings so if you like women being treated like human beings then check out Lawrence Mitchell Lauren Mitchell's podcast Cavern of Secrets yes I second that and uh, yeah there's so many fantastic podcasts out there not that you should stop listening to us and go and listen to them but if we're not regularly uh, on in your headphones, uh, then then there's a few others that you can check out to to fill the gap. Yeah, but we wanted to talk about something that has um, 
been, I think, important to both of us is um, indigenous languages. Yeah, yeah. So we are both language learners, I guess. I mean, I don't know. How do you want to start this? You want to talk about our our language learning journeys? Yes, or? I would like to know what your experience is with language learning. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if we talked a little bit about this on the podcast already because language is really important to, I think, both of us. But, uh, you know, language for me was really this strange thing where... Um, my grandmother and grandfather were both fluent speakers and uh, my grandmother in particular and her children, she had 13 um, children, including adopted children. Uh, most of them uh, were speakers as well and some of them fluent and then they went away to day school uh, and you know, a handful of them lost the language. My dad, I never really understood if my dad was fluent and I should ask one of my aunties uh, if he was, but it was always sort of like the language was always sort of there. When you were at my grandmother's or sometimes at, at my auntie's, like people would be talking about the language, but they would never talk to you in the language. Like it was a secret language. And I think I've heard other people talk about this, or I've talked about this with my collaborator, Susan Blight, about how the language was always there, but it was sort of inaccessible to you. It was sort of beyond your reach. And no one ever talked about it. No one ever talked about the importance of speaking the language. No one ever talked about teaching the language. Like that just wasn't part of our discourse. And I never understood, um, I never reflected on that. It just was how things were. These people spoke this language, I didn't, and that was that. But um, I think around the time I was 17, 18, I don't know what happened. I got some sort of, I got a Palm Pilot. You remember the Palm Pilots? Yeah. And it had wow, a little stylus. So cool. I don't even know where I got it from. I, I think I like stole it or, or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it I didn't have the, I didn't have any re I didn't have any purpose for it. So I just decided I would go and visit with my grandma and ask her to tell me about Nishnabhuan words. And uh, like I said, that was around seventeen, maybe eighteen. And I just wrote them down in my Palm Pilot, and I would <laughs> study them, and um, just started to ask questions around like well why does this word sound like that and how does this word connect with that and you know and then of course I know I'm sort of rambling but this is a you know we all have our language revitalization origin story Um, and then uh, you know you learn okay how to introduce yourself what's your name what's your clan what's your community and then you know you start picking up some of the grammar uh, how to say you know how to refer to yourself as as an individual um, and that was sort of that was sort of latent, sort of uh, something that I always wanted to do when I was uh, going through university and my master's degree. And then, uh, I guess probably when I was around 25, 26, then I really started to understand the importance of learning language. So it wasn't just like this thing that I was interested in or like this hobby, but it was like an imperative. Like I. I don't remember the exact moment, but I just realized, and maybe it was the death of my grandmother actually, but I just realized how languages were being lost and how important it was for for us to be revitalizing them. And, th- and so I set myself on this deliberate path of, of language learning and, and built up a vocabulary. And maybe I'll talk a little bit about what's happened since then, but I've been taking up most of the podcast here with my <laughs> discussion. So what about yeah. you, Courtney? How, oh, what about you? Gosh. So my, of course, my experience with language is a little bit different. I grew up on my reserve. And so um, I, my dad was the primary speaker um, in the home. 
Uh, his father, my paternal grandfather, spoke Huga. My paternal grandmother spoke Mohawk. My dad speaks like a mix of both, like Yuhawk, we call it. Like sometimes you see Mohawk words sneaking in or Huga words sneaking in when people are talking. Um, and I realize that now that I'm learning, I, the words that I thought were Kyuga were actually, were actually Mohawk words. So that's been an interesting thing to realize. Um, but, um, so I went to language immersion for my very early primary school years. I switched to English in elementary school for primary language. And so Kyuga was like a supplementary um, part of the, the schooling. Um, I took Huga up until grade eight. And then for my high school credit, language credit, um, because we didn't have any exposure to French, they, but there was no Huga language teacher that was able to come to my school to teach us. We did like an alternative class to the language credit, which was um, a traditional knowledge keeper from the community came in and told us all the stories of the wampum belts. So went over all of the Haudenosaunee history of like our original wampum belts with our original instructions. And he did that in partnership with an accredited teacher. So there was that supervision for like, there's someone here that's doing the work, but he was really doing most of the teaching and evaluating. And so that's kind of where my language journey ended. And I have always gone to what, you know, gone, gone to Longhouse my, most of my life. And so I noticed probably about two or three years ago that I was understanding less and less of what was being talked about at Longhouse. And I was losing not just my ability to talk, but my understanding as well, because I always felt kind of like comforted with the fact like, oh, at least I know what's going on. But that started to fade away too. So um, my auntie, Ima Johnson, who was a champion of um, Mohawk language learning, she passed away. And I was at um, Six Nations Polytechnic for some reason, some kind of public event. And they had a sign on the wall that said, uh, there was language projection um, for Kyuga. And it had a list of like how many Kyuga speakers there are who are like designated as like being superior language speakers. And there's about 31 right now. And based on wow. that, based on their age, 31 Kyuga speakers, like, like that are superior level, right? right, right? right There's right, a lot right, of people right. that speak it have a conscious, but like people yeah. that know like a, an extensive amount of vocabulary that are quote unquote fluent, mm -hmm. there's only about 31 of those people. And based on their age and based on the average age of people that are speaking the language, um, it was projected that the Kyuga language would die in 2022. Wow. And so Cayuga became a really high priority for me. And I began looking in the summer on like, how do I increase my understanding of the language? I applied to the Bachelor of Arts in Ongohoi Languages at Six Nations Polytechnic and was accepted. So I've gone back to school. It's a, it's a dual kind of like Bachelor of Arts, but also in Ongohoi Languages. So there's an emphasis on curriculum and, um, or like curriculum, grammar, language structure. It's using like a very specific kind of like form of teaching to teach fluency or to teach like, you know, practical use of language. And it's from Cessation Polytechnic, which is its own degree granting institution. So our community kind of has its own university and its own like college and, and they 
can grant degrees. And this is one of the programs that they offer. So my graduation date right now is set to be the year that this language is supposed to die. And so there's a real sense of urgency around what the practicalness of the of our languages are, right? Because I feel like because all of our ceremonies are done and people that conduct ceremonies, they know all the language, they know all the speeches, and we have the resources around it to make sure that that ceremonial life continues. But what we're losing is the conversational life. People that use it in their homes, people that use it to talk about mundane mm -hmm. things, to keep the languages from becoming only ritual, but actually alive and vibrant is kind of where they're at right now. So Six Nations has a number of different um, schools and ways to learn um, Kyuga and Mohawk and on Onondaga. And um, I'm involved in one of them, but I know some people that have done other ones. And there's also another program that's an adult immersion all day, every day program where intermediate level speakers are going through an intensive amount of training to become superior level speakers or advanced speakers in an effort to increase the number of people that have a functional knowledge of the language. So Six Nations and I think just the Haudenosaunee people in general, in general are like much more strict and much more like, um, you know, we like the structure. We like structure. Mm -hmm. We like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we have laws and they're pretty great. So we like <laughs> <laughs> we like that kind of thing. We I think our people strive in like, um, you know, establishing these kinds of things. And so very um, rigid, uh, almost authoritarian, uh, organized. I like to say so, organized uh, people. But I, yeah, I, so. I, I think I, I, you know, just from my perspective, listening mm -hmm. to your experience, I'm just sort of blown away by the amount of resources that are available mm -hmm. to you. Yeah. Um, to learn the language, but that's sort of an irony because Cayuga is one of the languages that's not expected to survive. And, you know, talking about 31 uh, individuals with a superior grasp of the language and the vocabulary and the grammar, you know, in my community alone, there's 60 speakers, uh, 60 fluent speakers in the last survey that was done, which was about 10 years ago, I guess. But um, obviously my community is much smaller than Six Nations, but Anishinaabemowin is one of the only one of the three languages proje projected to survive. Yeah, Mohawk um, is projected to survive. Too, you know, I think the last I heard, it was right on the cusp. It was yeah. like Anishinaabemowin, um, Nehiwewin, uh, if that's the right way to mm -hmm. pronounce it, um, and mm -hmm. Inuktut. <clears throat> so I hope that Mohawk is on, on the list. I hope all the, all the languages are on that list, but you know, you have. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of work to, to, and I to go think, into that. Yeah, and I think part of the things that have changed a little bit about Six Nations is like, you know, we really value our oral history, um, our oral traditions. And one of the people that kind of bucked against that was Jake Thomas. And Jake Thomas um, in like the 70s started creating and recording resources for us you know, speeches and things that happen in Longhouse and languages and, and creating the resources and tools that kind of made people mad. They didn't want these things recorded. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was seen as contrary. But now those tools and resources that we have, we really rely on them. And our community has kind of, and the institutions that exist in our community are very protective of that information. I know for like some resources and recordings, you have to have 
permission from a faith keeper of a longhouse to access them yeah. and to get that information, which is like one of the ways that we, you know, keep it from being exploited by, you know, non non hooded journey researchers. Definitely, definitely. Um, so a- there's a lot of that kind of stuff, right? So we have our own kind of like protected history as well. So it's but, tough, but yeah. you got it. You have to. I think when you're you have a, an issue where language is is threatened and there's only a handful of speakers, you have to do everything that you can possible to try to survive it. Like I understand the position that you know we come from an oral tradition and there's certain there's certain things that don't translate into English, obviously, but there's also certain things that don't translate into the written word. But like I think about Anuktut when I'm traveling in uh, Nunavut or my friends are in Nunavut, like there's this a tremendously high fluency rate. But they can see the language slipping away and they're doing everything possible to, to save it. That includes standardizing a writing system. Yeah. You know, so you take all the regional dialects and you say, listen, it's important to have regional dialects. Like it's, it's critical even, but if we want to save the language, mm-hmm. we need some sort of standardization. And I think that applies to write, writing as well. Like for me, I will acknowledge that mm-hmm. how I learn is not, you know, via orality um i i do my best and i'm okay at, at that but mm-hmm. i rely on text i rely on reading things and and memorization and working through um uh textual information to process uh and learn so i i, I need it written yeah. down and, and like those are things that just have to happen you know mm-hmm. yeah so I think that's like what's been really useful for our community is seeing that right and leveraging kind of like our critical mass of people to get these investments and to like create the infrastructure like our community is unique in a sense that for a long time Six Nations was the only place where you could learn Kyuga. Um that's since expanded there's another community in the states now where they have a a Kyuga language kind of program but there are a lot of different ways that people can learn languages um, one of the um, resources that we've used uh, is Leanne Hinton's book, How to Keep Your Language Alive. Um, and that lays out the way that people can learn a language, like a person who has a greater level of fluency than another person can start teaching and integrating language and keeping someone who has um, more language fluency in um, practice but also teaching and regular like normalizing the language in your day-to-day life so this is the kind of thing that we're coming up against now like people other language learners that i know like there are days like you know on days when i go to school if i don't you know if i'm not going out if i'm not at not going to community i'm you know mostly staying home or mostly online there are days where i speak more kyuga than i do english which is amazing because i talk a lot but um it's really hard to think about all the other ways that you can then create opportunities for other language learners to then use a language in different circumstances and how do you create the tools to make those spaces more accessible to more people mm-hmm. so one of the things that we're doing is we're doing a i'm working with some, i'm going to work with older students that have more language than i do we're going to create like a vocabulary sheet around sewing and we're going to make skirts and wrap skirts, um, which is a different style of skirt than ribbon skirts that it's Haudenosaunee. And we're going to use the words, learn the vocabulary, create a recording so people understand the uh, pronunciation, and then teach sewing and the skill 
and create a sewing space and a language learning space and a language use space. And that kind of thing is just as important um, as, say, having like a degree granting institution that has a degree in ongoing languages. Right, yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what the structure is around it, but you have to have people like Leanne Hinton talks about like putting your language out in the air where it belongs. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. And it's also mm -hmm. made it really clear to me how fundamental languages and how fundamental relationships are to language learning. Because like when you're learning languages that very few people speak, you talk to people. <laughs> you have to have something to talk to them about. Yeah. And you have to share and you have to do things with people. And you build community around that, around language learning. And so it's really like been good to like connect with people in a different way, people that I respected for a long time, like learning from people in our community that are very respected around it. It's also like, um, it's a very, like that language immersion, it's so like transformative as like a person to experience that. Right, 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 I hope right, that right. more indigenous people like think about that opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think, mm -hmm. you know, what I'm describing is the, the important practical need for having texts and mm -hmm. apps and allowing people to learn in a variety of different, uh, through a variety of different methods. But it, as you say, getting it in the air and having those relationships and dialogue mm -hmm. with other people is really what takes mm -hmm. language learning to the next level. And, and for Anishinaabemo, and you see more and more language learning immersion camps pop up, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a really, uh, a really positive, a really positive sign. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, the the tools themselves, like having that dialogue, is really important. But mm -hmm. it also it's important because we need to move beyond the translation based learning, which I think has mm -hmm. been really common through a lot of indigenous language revitalization. And so you mentioned um, Hinton's work. And mm -hmm. I think Helen Roy for Anishinaabemowin is, is, is someone that says, you know, translation is not going to help you learn the language and understand the worldview that under yeah. underlies it, which is really the, 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 the critical piece of, of language oh, learning, yeah. I think. Um, so she, she talks about how all the words are connected. And if you're, if you're doing translation based learning, you would look at the word, not necessarily break it down, but just translate it into the English version. Mm -hmm. So you're just teaching yourself how to speak English in Nishnabimon, and that yeah. is that is how a lot of language learning is 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 taking place, and that needs to to change as well. And I think increasingly it is, yeah, for sure. Yeah, one of the really good things about like the way the verb-based language system that we're learning is that you're and you're focusing on grammar, is that you learn how the words relate to one another, you learn how they function, and then once you learn kind of like the rules of the language you can manipulate the, you know, pronouns and prefixes and that rapidly expands your vocabulary and your ability to have like a conversational use of the language, which is really interesting because it feels like just like this week and last week, like, I feel like I had a good grasp of like the gunohanyo and, you know, the ceremonial speeches and things like that, but I had almost no conversational kyuga. In the sense that, like, you know, how are you doing? What's going on today? Like, that kind of stuff. Like, just didn't have any of those, hmm. like, the casual words of the language that, like, you know, the little things that, like, change the tone or emphasis, right? And especially learning the way to talk 
in a way that's like not just commands or not just verbs or facts, but all, you know, like sometimes or usually or, you know, not mm-hmm. really that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Right. Like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. been really an emphasis of our, our teaching. So it's been really um, good to do that. And also very like, wow, like there's a lot of uh, a lot to learn and a lot to speak about. I hope that like, um, you know, I have to like really commend like the teachers that we have and get day deer who's like the teacher that teaches our grammar he's so funny like and it's so heartening because like whenever he like describes a grammar rule he's like like thank you creator for this gift of this language and we shouldn't look at like things like grammar that can be scary especially if you have like a punitive history in learning english or like in elementary school right like if you struggled with that it can be hard to think about well now i have to learn grammar in a whole different language but if you approach that teaching with that kind of mentality is really like um affirming and that's Mm -hmm. the thing too like a lot of people i know have a lot of hesitancy around learning languages because they're fearful of um being disciplined by like very strict elders or being shamed because they don't have a lot of vocabulary my language learning experience as like an adult recently has been so different because our teachers are so forgiving and they're so kind and they're so encouraging and they recognize that like that's the environment you need to create for your students, you know, help them feel safe to learn so that they'll put themselves in uncomfortable situations to talk about what they don't know, what they don't understand about the language and to feel comfortable asking questions mm. and sharing with their classmates around, you know, some of the information. We're talking about like, do you shower in the morning or in the evening yesterday? Like that's kind of like... Uh, an interesting thing yeah 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 i think i mean people do talk about how difficult it is to learn language because there are um you know people in our community that will scold you or uh make you feel you know dumb i guess for for not being able to do this work i remember i had one experience where (coughs) i was uh i was learning nishnabimowen through pimsleur tapes so these are like books on tapes like audio Mm-hmm. recordings and teachings of Nishnabimowen and and it's like there at the time this was 10 years ago there weren't there weren't as many resources as there are now and so mm-hmm. the dialect I was learning was like um northeastern Ontario and like Minnesota dialect and and I would learn these tapes and I think I would have a grasp of really strong conversational Nishnabimowen actually and then I would go to my community and I would like try to say things to my elders mm-hmm. and they would look at me at like this blank face mm-hmm. like uh, you know, sort of comprehending, but just yeah. confused. Yeah. Um, but usually they would just like laugh at me and then they would correct me mm-hmm. and they would correct me in a firm, but mm-hmm. also like, um, caring way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I'm lucky mm-hmm. also that, uh, that I haven't been, I haven't had those experiences mm-hmm. where people f- made me feel bad for learning the languages. Yeah. But at the same time, that was a huge setback for me. Because I don't think I fully grasp the dialect issue when it comes to Nishnabimowen. Like, every community has its own distinct dialect. And our dialect as an island community is more slangy than a lot of uh, other Nishnabimowen communities. So it's actually, like, learning a fairly significant variation on, on, on the language to be community-specific. And so it was a setback for me to have learned so much of what I thought was conversational Nishnabimowen to go back to my community and be like, you know, nice try, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're not quite there. And actually, mm-hmm. I think 
you know, I just spoke about how the elders were mm. kind to me and, and caring to me, but it, it was still like a frustrating setback for me in, in language learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had, I got scolded on the weekend actually. <laughs> I, um, I was at a community event. I'm, you know, as you know, I'm running and running. you're elected. I'm uh, running for elected chief and it's, um, someone was like, it's funny for Mohawk speakers to hear me introduce myself in, as Mohawk in Kyuga. It's just like a, like, you know, it's just a little bit enough of a difference that it's like, it sticks out to people to be like, oh, you're saying Mohawk in Kyuga. That's, you know. And I said that and my, um, this older Mohawk woman got really mad at me. And she was like, why are you learning Kyuga? You're Mohawk. You should be learning Mohawk. Why aren't you learning your language? That's not your language. And I said, you know, and explained to them like, oh, it's my paternal um, grandfather's language. It's, you know, more critically endangered. It's a language that was most spokenly spoken in my house when I was growing up. And it's what I learned in elementary school. And they looked at me and they said, that doesn't matter. You're Mohawk. And I said, well, you know, this is the language I'm most comfortable learning now. And there's nothing that's going to stop me from learning more languages. And our people knew multiple languages, you know. Some of our older chiefs would know like nine or ten languages. So I'm going to start with Kyuga. And then maybe after that I will learn Mohawk and Oneida or Mohawk and um, Seneca. Like, but I'm starting with Kyuga mm-hmm. and I'm in the Kyuga language program. So someone once told me, I mean, yeah. you know, obviously not a really good interaction for you. <clears throat> now, not to make light of it, but someone told mm-hmm. me that Kyuga and Mohawk were the closest of uh, all um, Haudenosaunee languages. But but it's either Kyuga or Mohawk is just like a faster version of the other. Like Kyuga is like a fast version of Mohawk or something. Oh, no way. There's like, there's a lot of words that are the same. Like a lot of the words are completely the same words. And then some of them are completely different. And one of the biggest difference is Kyuga is the only Haudenosaunee language that is um, where the um it's like the opposite of french in the sense that like um when you talk about like you know male and female pronouns if you're talking about a mixed group of people the default is to refer to them all as women so if there's 10 men and one woman you would refer to them as women and q is the only language where like you would conjugate pronouns like that um mohawk would be the opposite, right? It would, you know, if there's a group of nine women and one man, you would refer to them as, as men. Right. So um, that kind of stuff is different, right? And you have to learn those variations of the language around how you do that. Um, but, um, yeah. But it's such a rewarding thing, you know? So I think about some of, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. it's difficult to rank your favorite conversations, <laughs> yeah. but when I, I love talking about mm-hmm. language with, other people and mm-hmm. you know I, I think it's obviously a tragedy that we're talking about language mm-hmm. in English mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. I, I just love talking about the quirks and the and the similarities mm-hmm. and like you know yeah. Cree and Ojibwe or yeah. or, uh, or how we say this in mm-hmm. our community and how you say it in your community mm-hmm. like it's yeah. it's it really does when you start to learn your language um, at whatever stage you're at you, whether you're going back to it or, or mm-hmm. otherwise it's there's something so invigorating and um, refreshing about mm-hmm. about just getting a little bit, just getting a toehold, you know? 
mm-hmm. and just moving a little bit further and a little bit further and talking about language like it, it's just it's just it's just something that is right yeah. you know like something that feels like it's the right thing to do I'm and feel good and feels good feels yeah. good feels good i'm going to turn around and park back there that sounds good because i need to go to the bank Okay. We're reaching the end of our, our journey here. We're at, almost at the end of our oh, journey shoot. here, and there are sirens. Oh, I don't think, I think you're okay. You're okay. Am I? Is that yeah. ambulance is going to come through here, though? Nah, it's good. Is it? No, it's going to. So. So, we will. Okay. okay. All right. So, um. Well, this yes, was a fun language talk. It was. Talk. I was going to say, like, <laughs> we should have tried to teach you Huga. Last week, I was in I was in Six <laughs> Nations for two full days. <laughs> At Six Nations Polytech, so I'm at sitting your in home. Yes, so <laughs> sitting I'm in sit, my actual classroom. Sitting in in your classroom, even though uh, completely unrelated to uh, anything uh, having to do with you, except it was your classroom. But anyway, I'm sitting in Cayuga classrooms, and uh, I think um, Oneida classroom. Yeah, um, the Oneida room. Yes. And mm-hmm. all this language is on the walls. Yes, I. Uh, so yeah. I feel like I picked up a little bit. What was the one? I think like uh, Washi 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 Washigan. I'm I'm pronouncing it in mm-hmm. Nishnabe mode, but I think it was like that. I'm laughing. Oh, I don't know if it's an Oneida word or computer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I guess oh, I didn't okay. pick up anything. Well, like that's a difference too, right? If you're trying to teach people to understand the language and not just translate it and interpret it as like a translation of English, like that's the what we yeah, do, right? Yeah, so yeah. we do like these exercises and we do these like games and things to like kind of tap the and the teachers like kind of like role role model conversations and responses and then you kind of like use your brain to build an understanding of like what does that mean and you contextualize it in a different way in your head um versus like what they're saying right so it's really like it's really interesting to like learn and build in an understanding of the language as opposed to like um something else right yeah um so it's do you want to get out? Can we end, we can end this? Or you can just drive around. Yeah, maybe I'll just get off and get out of the parking lot here. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's the thing, right? We're learning it in that way, in that style. So, yes. is this to end our podcast? Well, I, I guess we're going to end our podcast. Yeah. And since we don't know when we're going to commute again, we can't pick up uh, part two of this. But uh, we'll see how people respond. If they want to hear more about language learning, then maybe we'll continue this conversation. And uh, mm-hmm. in the meantime, learn your language. Try, even if it's just a little bit. Even if you get mm-hmm. out of the rhythm or out of the groove for a couple months or even a couple years, just, you mm-hmm. know. Go back to it. Speak. Learn a little bit. And um, you won't regret it. I don't think this is a parking spot, but I'm going to leave my car here. All right. All right. All right. I'll see you later. Thanks for the lift. No problem. You've been listening to the Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King. Sound and audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Till the pound of the wheels drumming in my brain My dash is dusty, my plates are expired